program, Grandpa. This is Sonny playing Christmas carols especially for you. Stop. Stop. Let me introduce it. This is the collective speaking. Here is a special Christmas song we prepared especially for you, dear Sans Mantra Studio listeners. Okay, Sonny, hit it. Silent Night. Holy Night. Always come. Always bright. Round young virgin. Mother and child. Holy infant. Tender and mild. Sleep. In heavenly peace. Sleep. In heavenly peace. Silent night. Hey, welcome to Sans Mantra Studio, Episode 7. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a singer, songwriter, producer living in Melbourne. And you're currently listening to the ambient sounds of my trip from the car to my gig in a shopping centre in the eastern suburbs last night. This was level two and I suddenly became aware that there was a children's choir. And I was really pleased. I love Christmas carols. I really wanted to get out and hear some, but I was worried that um, with social distancing restrictions that there might not be any happening. I think they were on level three, actually, they were on level three, which was uh, where the venue I was playing at was. So I know a lot of people don't like Christmas carols, but um, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I have a history with Christmas carols, being my involvement in the Australian Boys Choir when I was very young. So I guess this brings back memories of Christmas for me as well, um, as a young boy. We used to get kitted up in the robes and we'd go out and perform at shopping centres at Christmas time, obviously. But sometimes it was so hot, I remember, that there were some of the younger boys on the side would actually faint. I don't think there, maybe there wasn't air conditioning back in those days. There mustn't have been. So this is the level where I'm playing and this is where the choir is. I'm not a religious person, but there's something about the sound of some of these Christmas carols which just 
some of them have a, uh, I don't know, there's a certain, I can't put it into words. <laughs> They just sound holy, and what do I mean by holy? I guess the feeling that there's more than just this existence, that we are all connected, um, and at the risk of losing all my atheist listeners at this point, um, just that feeling that there's more, I guess, um, and that's, I guess that's what Christmas means to me, if anyone's interested, <laughs> just the feeling that we are all connected, you know, regardless of religion, creed, colour, race. Um, but also with the Christmas carols, I think there's something, and, and a choir in particular, there's something about the vibration of these voices and that's really what music is all about, I think. You know, I know I'm probably stating the obvious, but um, it's as simple as just putting a song on and, and having your mood change, you know, and it's because we're all made up of vibration. Um, so this week I actually watched a really interesting documentary on Dolly Parton of all people. I'm not a country music fan, but I have a great respect for Dolly Parton being a person that um, has written, I think she's written over 3,000 songs um, and she's incredibly smart. And not only that, but I got an insight in this documentary into the way she presents herself. So her persona is completely controlled and contrived as well. And I, I'm not casting judgment on that. I'm not saying it's good or bad to be contrived, but it's interesting that she, along with one of my favorite musicians, Prince, contrived her whole image. So the blonde wigs, um, you know, the makeup and everything, that's all on purpose. And I liken it to Bono with his sort of pink sunglasses that he started wearing about 20 years ago. And I think when he was asked, he said that it was just so that he could keep a little bit of, you know, himself for himself so that, you know, people aren't just seeing straight into his eyes. They've got everything else about him. They've got his voice, his music, and, you know, they've got access to him through interviews and everything, but he just put, put those sunglasses on just to, um, just to give an extra layer of privacy, I guess. Um, I guess there's a joke in there about rose-coloured glasses that I'm not going to make, but it also, I suspect maybe he might be short-sighted as well. But getting back to Dolly Parton, um, there's a person that, created her own persona and her own world, essentially. So she had the talent to do this. She she created a persona that it comes through in the documentary, at least, that she's a very deep person who created this image of herself to protect herself, to protect her privacy. So it was like a, a, a defence mechanism against the fame that came in because every musician, when they start, they start playing music and writing songs through the love of music. But um, but then after that, I guess once you've created something, you want to share it with as many people as possible. And with that comes the machine, I guess. Let's call it the machine of, of success and fame and, you know, all those aspirational things of getting your music out to as many people as possible and, and fame and success and all that sort of stuff. So she created um, Dolly, inverted commas, to protect her privacy and she's I guess not someone that I listen to but someone that I'm fascinated by for that for that reason I think um 
Prince as well is someone who certainly created his own world and definitely had the talent to do that. Um, and by that I mean had the hits, had the money, you know, to be able to set his life up the way he wanted it to be and just basically live on his own terms, which, you know, is is really an incredible thing to be able to do. And I see Dolly sort of in the same basket, I guess. But watching the doco on Dolly Parton actually really inspired me with songwriting and um, I realised that I probably spend more time talking about songwriting than I do actually doing it. But this week I was inspired to drag out one of my old demos and and try and sort of whack it into some shape that, you know, resembles a song. So this is a demo that I'm going to play for you now that I'm, I really like. Um, it really is a bit of a, I know I've shared sneak peeks before and everything, but this is really something that I don't want to, build, I'm building it up too much now. It's just a demo. <laughs> but I managed to come up with a title for it. I'm not going to share with you my vocal ramblings because I haven't got any sort of definite words for it yet, apart from the title, which is All These Ghosts. So I'm going to play All These Ghosts for you now, and I hope to be playing this for you in its entirety not too long from now in a future episode. subject of songwriting for a minute i've noticed since peter jackson's beatles documentary get back came out there's been lots of beatles clips on youtube popping up in my options and i noticed one just today actually on um paul mccartney showing an old song that he wrote and it's an excerpt from the beatles anthology from the mid 90s that came out and it's got him and George and Ringo just sitting around jamming. And he's playing this song that he came up with when he was a boy. And I remember reading about it. It's called Thinking of Linking. And <laughs> it's a terrible song. But um, all due respect to Paul McCartney. But uh, it just made me think about how songs are all related and they're all up for grabs. Everything's kind of in the ether waiting for us to pick it out, basically. And perhaps the skill of a songwriter, a great songwriter like Paul McCartney, is just his ability to reach into the ether and pluck things out. Anyway, so Paul McCartney had this song called Thinking of Linking. And it go, if you look it up, you can find it on YouTube. It's, it's from the anthology. Just, yeah. Anyway, it goes like this. That's the intro to it. And that straight away makes me think of John Lennon's song, Woman, from his last album, Double Fantasy, which starts off with... Mm -hmm. 
So I'm not saying that John Lennon ripped Paul McCartney off or anything like that. I'm just saying that every time we write a song, we're drawing on everything we've ever heard, whether we've been conscious of it or not. And I think maybe part of the secret of successful songwriters, success, if that's not too many S's in a row, is that Paul McCartney, for example, is someone that is always looking, he's always fishing. And perhaps the Beatles, through some magical combination of chemistry and um, perhaps fate as well, when they got together, were just the perfect combination with the perfect bait on the perfect hook to pull all those wonderful songs out of the ether. So in keeping with my promise last week, I'm going to share a couple more tracks from my upcoming album. And this next one is a song called Personal Invitation. And it's not finished, and I'm not playing it in its entirety, but either way, I hope you enjoy this. Peggy, 
could you let her know that I've just got back from a garage sale in Talbot and I managed to find myself a remastered VHS copy of Hot August Night by Neil Diamond that she might very well be interested in. So you were just listening to a rough mix of my unreleased song, Personal Invitation. And as I was listening to that just then, I remembered that that is actually a song that falls into the same basket as the ones I was talking about last week where I've reworked it and reworked it and reworked it. It actually had different lyrics a few years ago and slightly different music as well. And it occurred to me that that's a good example of a song where you've got the song in mind and you're really trying to bring it out in the right form, the way that you've envisioned it in your mind. The opposite approach to that, of course, is kind of just making it up as you go along. And by making it up, I don't mean just improvising, but building a song in the computer and then adding to that as you go with things that you like that work with it. And a good example of that sort of approach is Gautier, If you've never heard Gautier, he had a huge hit back in 2011, I think, with somebody that I used to know. And his album before that, he had a couple of albums before that, but the one just before that one was called Like Drawing Blood. And that was where I first became aware of him. I heard him on Triple J, actually. They played one of his songs on Triple J and I just loved it. And I actually got in touch with him and said, I love your song, This was before he broke, (laughs) so I got in touch with him pretty easily on the internet and we met a couple of times. And um, I remember him telling me that he worked with a mix engineer named Francois Titaz, who he described as having golden ears. And it was interesting to me that someone as talented as Gautier, Wally DeBacca that is, went to someone else to get his material mixed and mastered. I mean, most people get their stuff mastered by someone else. And more and more people are mixing and mastering at home now because we have the tools to do it in terms of technology. But we don't always have the ears or the experience. And I think Wally was very wise. I mean, he's highly intelligent, but he was very wise to go to Francois, um, who he had a hunch, I guess, that he'd be the right guy for his his music and you're probably thinking had a hunch I mean surely this guy had a track record of doing successful records which he did but that doesn't guarantee that he's going to be the right person for you and it can be tricky trying to find the right person that you kind of click with to get your stuff mixed because mixing music is a really it's an interesting kind of process because On the one hand, you're wanting someone to bring their take on your music and make it better. But on the other hand, you've, you know, if you've produced it yourself, particularly, which again, more and more people are doing at home with home, you know, computer technology, then you've got your own idea about how it's meant to sound. And you've, you've created it in a way that, you know, it's almost like you've mixed it yourself as you've gone along, which is you know, the way a lot of records are made in 2021. So it's a collaborative process, but it's it's one where you do have to find the right person that you click with so that there's a mutual respect and I guess a mutual shared vision as well. So with Wally's music, 
I remember at the time really being really, I was really into his album Like Drawing Blood because it used all these different samples from, he'd get samples from vinyl and, um, you know, old records and things and he'd put them together. And I'm pretty sure from what he said at the time was that he, he would put a sample down and then he'd find another sample that worked well beside it. And then eventually I think he would come up with some words and, you know, melodies that would turn it into a song instead of an instrumental. And I guess there's a few acts or artists that have done that now, like the Avalanches and then um, a couple of others that I can't think of, but sampling certainly not new and using an old loop as the basis for your track um, is, a, is a, you know, a really effective way of giving your track um, a lot of character straight away and often that's what draws people in so to get back to the point i guess these two different styles of songwriting and producing one is you've got the song in your head and you're really trying to bring it out and and find the right sounds to fit what you've already kind of come up with in your mind you've got a vision of of what the song is and that can be quite frustrating. And that tends to be the way I work because I'll, I'll have a song in my head and, you know, I've written it and then I'm, you know, the last step of that creative process is, is going to the computer and then putting keyboards and guitars and drum programming behind it. Whereas, the, you know, that, that's opposite to Wally's approach and that approach of sample-driven creation where you're assembling things that you like that go together and in a sense you're reacting to the first sample and it's a, a process where each sample and each sound influences what comes next. It's probably a better approach in a way but the way I write songs is the way I write songs so I do like doing that sample method you know that that process but uh, I tend to write songs on the piano or on guitar and in my head, I guess, I write a lot of songs in my head, so I'll hum things into my, you know, voice memo on my phone and come up with chords quickly and then I might jot down the chords if I don't have an instrument nearby and then I'm trying to put it together on the computer. So, yeah, they're two different ways of, of coming up with a song and both equally valid, but uh, that last song that you heard, Personal Invitation, went through quite a few rewrites and it's still not finished. Like I said, it's a rough mix. So I may, well, I will. I'm sure, sure I'll change things before that um, gets sent off to, to be mixed and mastered. Anyway, the next song I've got that I'm going to play for you is a song that was very, very definite. It came to me almost like that. And it's called Plastic Man. And again, it's an old song. You can see that I'm really trying to clear the decks with this album that I've got coming out because I've been sitting on these songs for a long time and I want to clear the decks, as it were, to, uh, to be free to write new music, which I'm already doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm stuck in the middle a little bit. I want this album out, but I don't want to just rush it out either. Anyway... This is called Plastic Man and it's about con men and I will absolutely be doing an episode on this because there is a story attached to this song. But uh, for now, enjoy this rough mix of Plastic Man. Plastic Man 
In other news, I finally got all my music software working again. So I'm pretty happy about that. That's about it for this week's episode. Uh, before I go, I want to make a quick shout out for my mate Lyndon's podcast. That's Lyndon Wesley has a podcast called One Man, One Hammock, wherein he kind of dwells on one thought as he's falling asleep in his hammock. Um, <laughs> I know Lyndon, and you're probably thinking, what else does this guy have to do? But uh, Lyndon's a very busy guy, and I think the hammock is where he just goes to decompress. But being the productive person that he is, he takes a thought, any thought that comes into his mind, and I think it's a way of him trying to um, quiet his mind. So um, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go and check out One Man, One Hammock. Um, as always, huge thanks and gratitude to the following people for supporting me with this podcast and my music in general. Um, in alphabetical order, I want to thank Anthony Ray, Beck Godfrey, Campbell McNaughton, Jill Harvey, Gordon Thompson, Jody McNaughton, Justin Slay, Logan Sinclair, Lyndon Wesley, Neva Connell, Nicola Platt, Paul Appleman, Paul Richards, Pete Sim, Salman Khan, Sharon Swan, Warren McColl-Jones, Barbara Renz, Paul Hughes, Natalie Guglielmi, Graham Hughes, Gloria Kennedy, and especially my ever-loving family, Helen Hughes and Bailey Hughes. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. I'm off to a gig tonight in Cowes. Wish me luck. It's a two-hour drive there and back, but I'm not finishing at a million o'clock, so I should be back before minus a million o'clock with a bit of luck. I'll see you next week anyway. Have a great weekend. See you then.